So today, as you will know, we, we're looking at this, this word identity. Um, and if we're thinking about identity at the very, very basic level, um, we think you, you talk about identification and your mind might go to documents and, and kind of endless paperwork or bureaucracy. Um, and that document though, as much as it's time consuming or like feels like a faff or is that thing that you kind of file away when you go off to uni and think, where's that gone? I don't know, what, how do I need this? Um, they had the significance of identification, of being known, of being recognized is so powerful. If you were to think around uh, the security that comes from something like a passport, that gives you permission, it gives you freedom, it says that you are known. If you were to think around um, other documents that just allow you to get a job, that say that you are, you are a, a, a reliable, significant person in your country or in your society, this kind of identification, this, this play around this word, actually has much many more ripple effects than we first give it credit for. I remember going to work in the States, it was between my second and third year at uni, and uh, I went out there and I had, to, um, I had to get a social security number before I could do anything. And it was that social, the social security number, which is easy for some to say, um, that meant that I could get a job. And that meant that I could then rent a place to stay in Rainbow Court in Myrtle Beach with a load of other students that was just, it was just a bit carnage, but hey, it was a roof over my head. And it meant that I could um, have some sort of life there in the time that I was staying in that space. There was some sort of success that I could have in my time there, all because of this identification that I had to get. I had to prove who I was and what I was about. And at that very basic level, we brush over that word, we brush over those processes, we take for granted perhaps some of us. And then when you hear stories of, of people trying to seek asylum or refugees, you realise the power of identification, offering security, offering a life. And that's just at those practical levels. But what about at a deeper level? What about at who am I? What makes me me? I don't know about you, but during COVID-19, I've heard a lot of stories of people just going, everything's been stripped away. All these things that we used to do, these people that we used to see, activities that used to fill our diary, had started to, to make up part of who we are and not necessarily in a bad way. You know, I am someone who goes and plays football. It's part of my identity. I'm clearly using that as an example. Just say, don't, don't worry. But I, you know, all these people, these friendships, these things I was involved in, building up, making up our identity, suddenly, <laughs> completely gone. And people feeling like the rug's been pulled out under, the, under their feet. And particularly if you then end up on furlough. My gosh, like, I've, not, I've, I've got nothing. I can do nothing. I've, I can't see people. I can't produce. I can't achieve. And people sort of thinking who am I if I can't do all of those things? And they're really valid questions. And then when you start to talk about this for Christians, how often have we heard the phrase identity in Christ? And the danger is that we can have these phrases, this terminology, this jargon sometimes around um, our different phases of our walk with Jesus. But actually, how often do we unpack that and make that a reality in our everyday lives? And I think tonight, Jesus wants to take us on a journey. He's done this with me continually in my life, ever since I first heard this talk from in a One Life setting. Um, and as I was praying tonight for you guys, I was so reminded of the time that I first heard this and it was like a light bulb went on. But it's been fascinating to then look back at that time, maybe 15 years ago, and see how often Jesus has very kindly, very gently brought me back 
to this message, this truth of our identity and where it needs to be based. But in order to explore this deeper level of identity further, I have in my possession a couple of things. Um, I have um, in my, in, I'm in my loft at the moment and where well, it's like my bedroom loft type thing. And there are some eaves in the corner and in the boxes in the eaves are stacks and stacks of very large journals like this one. This is the one with some pretty flowers for, for summer that I use for leading the team at One Life at the moment. And this is one that was taken, hang on, let me open it up just to blow the dust off it. This one, the first date is 2006 as a youth pastor. And I have a, um, all these big journals and I have one from the very moment I started youth ministry. And the reason why I'm talking about these is these are filled with reflections for me that have made up part of the story that I'm about to tell you. Um, points where I've had to pause and go, hang on a second, what on earth am I doing? Who am I? What am I about? And it's been those reflections that have saved my life, have saved me from burnout. And this section, this um, reflection that I'm going to share with you, this, this story that I'm going to um, tell you, it is of leading particularly young people in a church context. But actually what you'll notice is it can be picked up and placed right after the business Zoom meeting or in the classroom or whatever space you find yourself in right now. So I'm just going to tell you a bit of a story of my life as a youth pastor going on this journey of identity. When I was a youth pastor, we worked um, at the back of the church and there was a porter cabin at the back of the church and it was a pretty smelly porter cabin. There were stories of rats underneath it. I never saw any, but I just, I heard the stories. Um, at the end of a 12 hour Sunday, one of my busiest days, the porter cabin would have this lovely faint smell of Haribo, B.O. and popcorn, maybe pizza. Um, and I had pretty much been in this, um, this porter cabin for the entire day. And um, I want you to imagine um, a North London church and I would pull the porter cabin shut. Anyone who has ever spent any time in a porter cabin knows that when those doors shut, they all pretty much sound the same. I'd pull the porter cabin shut at the end of my day. I'd often look up at the stars, look up at the sky if I could see it and glance up at the cross that was on the back of the church. Take a deep breath in and start to play out my day. How's it gone today? What's happened? I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that after a day, either um, in the lecture room or in the classroom or in the workplace, where you just you either drive away or you walk to the tube and you take a breath and you play it back. And this was a particularly good Sunday. This was a good day. I felt really up. Uh, that meant that young people were uh, engaging with each other. There was people talking and forming friendships. I even saw the, the sort of 12-year-old who would not speak to me ever, who would often just basically go at me when I spoke to him, actually break out into a smile. And my gosh, then there was someone else who spoke to someone that they didn't ever normally speak to. There were cliques being broken down and friendships being formed. The Holy Spirit was moving just simply because somebody made eye contact with someone else and broke into a smile. There were these little wins that would go on all throughout the day and as I walked down the decking and out through the back of the church everyone else would have already left I didn't mind that I was the last one there I didn't mind that I had the 12-hour day because today was successful there were wins today young people met with Jesus today and I felt like I could do my job well so I'd get into my car and as I'm carrying on the process, I'm kind of talking to God and I'm thinking, this is great, God. I had a good day today. I feel so secure in my job. That means that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm good. 
I'm, I'm doing it well. And on Tuesday, when we have our endless staff meetings and, on, and, uh, and all discuss the good news stories of Sunday, and now is where I can see the different people who are working in church context break out into a smile because every single church has the Tuesday good news stories. Um, and from the Sunday, I would, I would sit there, I've got a story to tell. I'm good at my job. I've got something to bring. I feel secure in my role and in my future. I feel secure with young people that actually they look to me because we've had a successful Sunday and this feels so secure and so strong and I drive my car down that road and nothing else mattered because actually you know what I'm feeling pretty strong in my role and in who I am right now and in how my boss would see me and how my other volunteers would see me and how my team and my peers would see me it is going well then as I climb up the steps to my flat in North London at that point I felt amazing about the fact that I'd be talking to maybe other youth pastors about how to do youth ministry, that I would have a voice with people who are senior and who are younger than me. I felt like even if the trickiest young person could come up to me, I had the authority to say, no, don't go this way, go this way, because today, this Sunday was a brilliant day. Today there were wins and I felt successful and I feel so secure in my role and in what I'm doing. And even so much as I'm walking up the stairs to my flat about to put the key in the door and I'm praying for the young people with a renewed passion. I'm binding things in Jesus name. I'm declaring things in Jesus name. I'm telling the enemy to get off because I've got the authority because today was a good day. And I would feel that confidence as I walked into my flat. And then finally, as I would collapse on the sofa and put on a box set or whatever it was, I would sit there and I'd go, you know what, God, I love you. You're amazing. You never leave me. I am always with you and I can really sense your presence with me. Today was a good day and I know you're always there. Now, that would be a reflection of one particular Sunday. And I'm just going to do a little funky thing and share my screen. This is where all the teams slightly hold their breath because Liz Beauty is going near technology. Um, so hold on one second. Right, I'm going to share this with you. Because this is the kind of pattern that would, hopefully you can all see that. Do I get some nods? Just went wonderful. Um, this was the kind of pattern that would make up that reflection. I felt successful because of the things that went on. It was a good day. I felt secure in my role, not only in relation to my boss and the rest of the staff team, but also in how the young people viewed me. I felt like I had an authority with other people in teaching other people that I knew my stuff, but also spiritually, I felt like I had an authority. And ultimately, that made me go, I'm secure in who I am, in the fact that my father never leaves me, that he never loves me. And it was all based from that point in success. And you know what? It is so easy to fall into this because essentially this is how our society is wired. This is how we've, we're programmed to work. Take for a second um, our education system. If you look at that success um, point there, we've got you want to have you want to run after education and get good grades. You want to be successful. You want to strive for that for that tick box, that report that moment that you that means you can get out of the gate of school and go and make something of your life it means that from that point you'll go and get a good job you'll have security you can put down a deposit on your on your flat and you will have that sense of security for the rest of your life come on Liz go and get good grades go through education go and get a good job work your way up and uh, and then you're going to be able to get that house and have that security how about then authority well, the plan is in that phrase, work your way up. 
you get into a company and you work your way up the ladder. You become a manager, you become an influencer, you become a leader in the other definition, not so much the one life definition. You have an authority and that then feeds into your identity. I am successful. I have made it. I am secure. I'm a full human being because I've got the good grades. I've got the the good job. I've got the house, perhaps even relationship wise. You know, you have that sense of I'm going to tick the box. And at this point, I'm going to get married. And at this point, I'm going to have my family. And that is like the whole success idea all around relationships, building in to our identity. And what we've become very aware of is that people in their 30s and 40s can easily lose their way because they've achieved those things. They've got the great house. And I've uh, just probably in the last couple of years um, just become really aware at the school gate with, as my children have got older, watching this process happen with wonderful people who are basing their identity in this kind of climbing through this process. And the next thing is the kitchen extension. And then the next thing is like, what can I next get? What can be my next project? Because it makes me feel complete and whole. But the truth is that whatever your context, whether your story would be from a church position or your story would be from a relationship position or your story would be from business or one of the spheres of society, when it flows in this direction, we're left with the question, what about when it all goes wrong? What about when success fails? When you come off of that Zoom meeting, when you hit that difficult patch in your work or in your relationships and the knock-on effect happens. Because let me paint you a picture of a very different day on a Sunday. And I'll keep this frame up so you can see the pattern. Because when the, day, when the door is shut and the smell wafts past as I close the door, And actually, I look back on that 12-hour day and I look up at the cross. Do you know what? I will stop sharing because you don't need to see it all for this one. And I look up at the cross and I walk down and everyone else has left. And I think to myself, today wasn't such an easy day. Today, people didn't listen to me. Today, those same young people that weren't speaking to young people before were still not speaking to each other at the end of the day. Today, no one wanted to know about Jesus. Today my volunteers didn't show up. So what kind of leader am I? Today, I look up at a very dark and empty church and everyone else has gone home and it sucks. Why am I working so hard when everyone else seems to have gone home? And as I would get into my car, that feeling of failure would seep in to the next point. I don't feel so confident going into my Tuesday good news stories with no good news stories. Is my boss going to think that I'm any good at my job? Do the young people even think I know what I'm talking about? Should I even be a youth pastor anymore? And that would hit that security, that failure would hit the security and then seep into my authority. How can I go and share with other people what it is to be a youth pastor when I've had a Sunday like this? How can I pray and cast things out in Jesus' name or, you know, pray for that young person to come and meet with the hope of the living God when I can't even get him to stay in the room for more than two minutes? I have no authority. And that failure seeps in through my security, through my authority and into finally, as I collapse on the sofa and I put on the box set this time to escape And I try and approach God and I say, God, I felt really far from you today. Do you love me? I don't know who I am anymore. Because today I felt lost. Today wasn't successful. Today I had conflict. Today I felt like a failure. And today everything else is impacted. 
And so how I approach God, are you really always there for me? Do you really hear my prayers? Are you really real? Suddenly, when it's all based on success and you take that diagram and it flows through to identity, when success looks like failure, everything falls down. And the truth is, it's so important for us to spot how seemingly really innocent um, innocent kind of systems in our society, like, sorry, cars going past in Watford, always like make themselves heard. But um, I, like, it's not bad to want good grades. It's not bad to want to be really good at a job. Like One Life is all about people being exceptional, not just in character, but in what they're doing to go and lead well. But it's when that then builds the identity that we have a problem and that we see it time and time and time again. So what if, as Christians, God had another way? What if to lead out of our identity in Christ meant something very, very different that could have an impact on our daily life, on our relationships, and on how we live all of that out? And for this, I'm just going to share another screen. Because what if it all started from a different place? What if it started where that red arrow began on identity? What if out of the place of the knowledge that it is done, it is finished, Jesus has already paid the price, that we wake up each day and there is nothing we could do to make God love us more and there is nothing we could do to make God love us less? What if that's where we started from? And that in turn impacts our authority. That in turn impacts our security and that in turn impacts our success. What could that look like? Well, as I said to you earlier, my journey with this began probably about 15 years ago when I first heard this session. And it was about, oh gosh, how many years ago? Um, well, it was in 2017 that I got asked to step, um, step into the role after Pete Winter, the founder of One Life, to be the director of One Life. And uh, you need to know uh, that that's not why I joined the team. I wasn't really interested or didn't really feel particularly called up until that point to lead the team. And uh, there was very much a point, there's another story where Jesus kind of interrupted that train of thought and said, Liz, I'm calling you to step into this. And I went through this whole process of complete sheer fear and uh, worked through that and then went, yeah, okay, I'm in. But it wasn't until the November and that was around uh, the September. It wasn't until the November that I had to do a real wrestle with Jesus. We had a fundraiser every year. We have a fundraiser and it's a really big event. And this one was particularly big because Pete was stepping to one side and was announcing me as the new director. And this was with a room full of very confident, very, very wealthy, very, very powerful businessmen who were all Pete's friends. Suddenly, I had to step into that space and say, will you trust me to lead this organization forwards? And more so, will you trust me with your finances? If this fundraiser didn't come through, uh, we would have staffing issues. We would have to close areas down of One Life. And basically, it would be a bit of a disaster. Uh, and so uh, I was going on a real transition from how do I do a speech? If those of you who do any form of communication stuff, the difference between teaching and preaching like this and a speech is very, very big. And it was causing apps. I was in bits about it. I was struggling so much. And it was like this wrestle. And it was on the Friday in Starbucks, a couple of hours before I was due to, to go and start this fundraiser that I realized God was saying to me, Liz, this is about your identity. Suddenly, I realized I needed to come back to this process. 
And suddenly I had to do this step-by-step moment again. As I faced that fundraiser, I realigned myself with the truth that my identity first was not in whether this fundraiser was a success or a failure. It was in Christ Jesus who has died for me and who lives for me and who sent his Holy Spirit to live in me. That is who I am when I walk into that room. That is who I am when I take on this role. And so as I walk into this room filled with very, very wealthy businessmen who have got a huge amount of authority over companies worldwide, I go in with the authority that comes from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and I hold my head high. And I take a time with each individual and I share my story because it's God that's called me there, not anything that I've achieved. So as I walk into that intimidating space, I'm secure, not in the fact that Pete thinks I should be in that role, not in the fact that even my mum told me I should be in that role, not in the fact that the team love me, but I'm secure in the fact that God has called me. He has given me an authority. And even if it's um, outside of this role, he has made me his daughter. I am an heir to the kingdom. And that is why I go into this space with my head held high. And so then, you know what? Yeah. I went in there, I had a great dress, that helped. I felt confident, I felt good in myself, and I went and I smashed it with a speech, not because of my own warrant, not because I could like, wow, I can do this, and I did a course in speech writing, but because I had got my identity straight. What can it look like for us? If we walk into that Zoom meeting, if we walk into maybe a conflict situation at work, if we're walking into a lecture theatre or a classroom, or with those friends that, are, that really intimidate you and, and you struggle to have a voice, what if we walk in and this was the flow and this was our stance, that our identity is set, that gives us an authority to not try and people please, to not try and be accepted. It gives us a security to be in that space because we are known and called, and then ultimately at trusting our success to what happens in that room, but it's not gonna eat away at the very core of my being. What does it look like for that first stance, that first identity bit to play a reality in our lives? We read it in Romans 8, just gonna quickly find it for you. We see it um, written for us in the truth For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's Romans 8, verse 15. We walk into every situation as God's children. What does that mean? Nothing ever changes it. No doubt takes that from your life. No other words overrule that truth. No failure decreases it. No success adds to its worth. Nothing can build upon that truth that we are God's children. No disaster makes it crumble, not even COVID-19. No award can lift it higher. No credentials can earn it. No wealth can buy it. No possessions can speak louder. It is done. Jesus did it for you. He did it because he loves you. That's what it means. That's what we carry when we set our identity first in Christ and let that overflow into our authority, into our security and into our success. 
But you know where this really lands? For this, I'd love you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew. Because it's great hearing my story and we can go away and we can carry these things forwards. But the word of God is living and active and we believe he's going to plant seeds in in our lives tonight. And uh, I'd love us to just uh, start just before the start of chapter four. So it's Matthew three, verse 13. And I'm just going to take us on a little journey that shows these pointers in Jesus's life. So the starting off with the baptism of Jesus, I'm just going to read us through. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him, lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We're just going to carry on just a few verses. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Right here, this first pointer, we see the enemy, the devil, tempting Jesus eating away at his identity and how he's doing it through his success with a constant question of if you are who you say you are if you are who you say you are we see very clearly different areas where Jesus is like that core of who he is is trying to be got at and here it's in his success because if he performs then that would be incredible tell these stones to become bread wow this would be the most phenomenal thing for Jesus's ministry right here, right now. It was a challenge based on what Jesus could do. How could he perform in this moment? If he was going to turn stone into bread, he could do it. He's, He's Jesus. He's God. He could do it. It's just a little thing, surely. But actually what he's saying is, yeah, if you are who you say you are, prove it. Show me what you can do. Do something to show me who you are. And he's tempting Jesus right at the core of his identity. And what's so fascinating about this question is in the light of the cross and the cross would have looked like a failure to Jesus's followers. The cross would have looked like a moment of complete despair because they were ready for this leader. They were ready for conquering success. And this looked like failure in the shadow of the cross. This this question was crucial for Jesus. If you're really the son of God, then do something pretty impressive. What do you think was going through his head in the Mount of Olives when he was there saying, take this cup away from me? He was going to have to walk right into the heart of suffering and let go of that ability to be successful and impressive and to win the day. Right here, the devil is attacking him right at the core of who he is through success. The key thing for Jesus was his identity with the shadow of the cross before him had to be not in what he could do or not do, or anything else he could perform, but in his father, in his father, not in bread to stone or anything else impressive. So let's read on. 
the devil took um so it, jesus answered it is written man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of god verse 5 then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the son of god he said throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone right here the devil's questioning jesus's identity if you are who you say you are and he's doing it through security if you are who you say you are God will look after you, won't he? Will he? Will God look after you? Throw yourself down because he'll look after you if you are who you say you are. His identity, his very core of his being, challenged through this area of security. Well, where is my security going to be based? Yeah, I, I can do this because my, yep, yep, that's okay. No, his security had to be based again in his father again in the shadow of the cross can you imagine the questions the thoughts that would have been going around jesus's head he would have had to have faced that on the cross and he had to face that with satan right here and right now no his identity is in the father so he carries on jesus answered him it is also written do not put the lord your god to the test this vital question for jesus to have to face is here again verse 8 again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor all this i will give you he said if you will bow down and worship me jesus said to him away from me satan for it is written worship the lord your god and serve him only then the devil left him and angels came and attended him how is this final attack trying to get at the core of jesus's identity it's through his authority and it's there in that phrase in verse nine and at the end of verse eight, all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, all of this you can have authority over if you are who you say you are, show me. You can have this, you can have this power, you can have this authority. And what's fascinating, just as a side note, is the way that Jesus answers that question is about worship. And there's a really interesting relationship between power and worship here. Jesus says, nah, I worship, I worship the Lord, the Lord, my God, and I serve him only. He's renouncing that desire to prove his authority, to prove his stakes and saying he worships God. I just think this is utterly profound. This journey that Jesus goes on before the start of any of his ministry, all with the backdrop of what we read just before this chapter where God speaks and says, this is my son and I am so proud of him, to put it in my words. Before he had done anything, that, those words would have been echoing around Jesus' mind and his heart as the enemy would say, if you are truly that, then prove it, prove it, prove it. How often do we walk into a space and think I have to prove my authority, prove my worth? How do we, often do we perhaps get on a Zoom meeting with work, feeling a bit nervous about something we've got to bring? Or am I, am I even liked? Or am I accepted? Am I going to be a success? Am I going to have authority? And sometimes those, you know, they're questions for us to look at and be really real about. But our identity, who we are, the fact that we are loved, we are chosen, we are called, we are God's children, that is untouched. And what's fascinating is Jesus was challenged in the wilderness and he was successful in the wilderness because he knew who he was. 
And it's so important for us. I wrote this and I actually said, it's so important for us to tackle these questions in the mountaintop times so that we're ready for the valley. But it feels like these past five months have probably been pretty valley-like for many people. How have you done with that question of who am I and how am I loved when I'm not producing, when I don't feel successful, when I feel anxious or nervous? But what's interesting for us is that we've walked through a valley and whether you feel like you've processed that well or not, whether you feel like you're still in it, or maybe for you, actually, this, this process has been a really golden time of you learning and discovering stuff. The little thing that's a side note here is it's very often in our seasons of success that we need to be the most wary of this. When leaders get successful, when they get powerful, when they have influence, when there is a sense of authority, we've probably all seen it time and time again in different spheres. Very often it's most painful when it's in the church sphere, but we've seen it in our politics. We've seen mistakes being made. We've seen it in maybe education when there's been that sense of a teacher who's just authority's gone to their head and they're no longer calling out the gold of the person in front of them. But it's when we're successful that we need to ask ourselves these difficult things. Where is my identity coming from? Am I letting my successes fuel this sense of I am who I am? And then in the valley times when everything is stripped away, allowing Jesus to quietly call us back to the fact that before we've even got out of bed, you are my beloved. You are dearly loved. It is finished. I love you. I lay down my life for you. And nothing will ever change that. 